0: Live from the Jacob Media Studios, it's Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough on News Talk 1400 WOND. Be inspired, learn and understand the power of becoming a servant leader and transform your life while serving our nation. Meet those who have served our country, learn about prosperity
1: and overcome sickness, poverty and despair. Serving Our Nation begins right now. Good afternoon and welcome to episode 10 of Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Rev. Dr. Paul McCullough. If today is your first time listening to the program, I just want to share with you the idea and the heart behind Serving Our Nation. This is a program focused on encouraging people to become servant leaders. What I want to do is offer hope and encouragement by sharing with you two or three stories each week of people that are focused on servant leadership because I truly believe that when you honor God by serving other people, blessings just follow from that as a natural byproduct. And I want to help everyone see that, understand that, and receive that because beyond the shadow of a doubt, I know, I believe in my heart that serving is for everyone at any age in all walks of life. In some of our previous episodes, you've heard from people like Major General Clem Coward, Lieutenant Colonel Mark Meeker, in the area of military. In business, you heard from Melissa Fitzgerald and how she lives out being a servant leader. In faith, you heard from Reverend Jimmy White and Chaplain Scott McChrystal. In the area of community, Mr. Bob Frollo and Kristen Meeker. And in family, just last week, you heard from Mr. Danny Nolan. And so when you listen to all these people's stories, what should really hit you is that when you see a need, you should fill a need. Because beyond anything else, beyond what our giftings are, beyond what your occupation is, we are all ministers. We are all called and given very special gifts, even people that are young. And just a little bit about me, I'd like to share with you just a brief connection point each week of what the show is gonna be about and how that relates uh, to my walk. So I have had an opportunity to serve in the military on two different deployments, one in Iraq and one in Kuwait. I was deployed to Iraq from October 2005 to April 2006 on what was called a SPIT, or a Special Police Transition Team. And during my deployment to Kuwait, which was from June 2017 until November of 17, uh, I was sent to Kuwait and I had two kids at that time. My son, Paul the Fourth, who is now 17, and my daughter, Sarah Elizabeth, who is now 12. And they're going to be joining us here today. I have three great examples of servant leaders that we're going to talk to today. Two of them are my kids that I just mentioned to you. My uh, son is a musician and a football player. My daughter is a singer and a gymnast, and they're students in 11th and 7th grade, respectively. And in the first segment of the show, we're going to be talking to, all the way from Bosnia, Command Sergeant Major Frank Swerko. He's a retired police officer. He's presently serving in Bosnia, working for Brigadier General in NATO. And he's a founder of an organization called Band Together. So when we come back from the break, I'll be joined by Sergeant Major Frank Swerko, all the way from Bosnia. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
2: So I threw the shadows of...
1: Dr. Charles McCabe is on a
0: mission to eliminate back pain while helping each individual achieve optimum wellness right here in the Delaware Valley.
3: I was in such pain that I couldn't even walk. I would go to sleep and I would literally pull my hair from the pain. Since the day we came in here, I felt like I was in a place where they really care for people. It's not just a number. Do you
0: have a bulging disc or herniated disc causing you back pain? Have you been told you need surgery? It doesn't have to be that way. Many of Dr. McCabe's patients with these same disc problems have found relief with his treatment. Do this. Go to CherryHillDiscCenter.com and find out your options. Stop suffering from back pain now. CherryHillDiscCenter.com.
4: When I came here, we started, my pain level was 10, of course. As weeks went by, my pain level dropped. As of today, my pain level is zero. If they take care of you, they make sure this is good for you.
0: Stop suffering from back pain due to disc problems. Go to CherryHillDiscCenter.com. CherryHillDiscCenter.com. Attention women of South Jersey and the Delaware Valley. Sign up right now with our lady NRA instructor, Nayara Andrzak, who will teach you gun safety as part of this three-hour safety class, which is being held at Delaware Valley Sports Center in Philadelphia. For information, drop an email to info at DelawareValleySportsCenter.com. That's info at com. Learn the fundamentals at Delaware Valley Sports Center. You can't miss. Chill or thrill, lazy or crazy, wild or mild. In the Wildwoods, you can do as much or as little as you like. There's five miles of free white sand beaches and 38 blocks of boardwalk excitement with amusement rides, water parks, shopping, arcades, and carnival games, plus great restaurants and nightlife. Everything you could ever want in a family vacation is right here in the Wildwoods. The Wildwoods are the best family value at the Jersey Shore, so start planning your perfect Wildwoods vacation today. Visit WildwoodsNJ.com. That's WildwoodsNJ.com. DelVal Insurance wants to save you 40% on your car insurance right now, and they will do it today. Here's managing partner Jim Muehlbrunner.
2: A lot of people pay a lot more premium than they need to, and they may not have the coverage to to justify what they're paying.
0: There's no charge for the complimentary insurance review. You will save money and you will connect with a company that is an advocate, not a broker. Go to dvigi.com or simply call Jim at 215 354 That's 215 354 I've met clients that think that I, as an independent agent, charge a fee versus going direct to Geico or going direct to Progressive. We do not charge a fee. Let Val Insurance save you up to 40% on your car insurance. Get your complimentary review. Call Jim Muehlbrenner directly at 215-354-0122. 215-354-0122. Your savings are a phone call away. Get educated and learn about your roadmap to retirement every Sunday evening right here on News Talk 1400 WOND starting at 6 p.m. Join David Bazaar. Karen Bazaar and Brett Elam of Thrive Financial Services, who will teach you about taxes and retirement, Social Security, and how to navigate and create a retirement plan that will provide you with peace of mind. Learn from a local company, Thrive Financial Services, an advocate and a resource for you in your retirement. Every Sunday from 6 to 7 p.m. on News Talk 1400 WOND, a Jacob Media Production. W223CO Atlantic City. Live from the Jacob Media Studios, it's Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough on News Talk 1400 WOND. Be inspired, learn and understand the power of becoming a servant leader and transform your life while serving our nation. Meet those who have served
1: our country. Learn about prosperity and overcome sickness, poverty and despair. And welcome back to Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough. And I'm joined here today by Command Sergeant Major Frank Swerko, all the way from Bosnia. Frank, are you on the line?
4: I am here, uh, Dr. Paul. Greetings from uh,
1: Bosnia-Herzegovina. Frank, what time is it there?
4: Right now it's uh, 10.15 in the evening.
1: Well, Frank, Um, first of all, I um, want to really thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule with everything you have going on in Bosnia a deployed environment to be here on the program today
4: well thank you for having me
1: but frank uh, you and i have known each other for quite a long time and you have a very diverse background but if it's okay i want to start by talking about your time as a police officer like how when and why did you join the police force
4: like well, i joined the police force after um, i got off active duty the first time with the army and um... It just seemed like a natural thing to do with my upbringing and my family. It was—it was actually a dream come true for me to become a police officer. I always wanted to be a, a police officer when I was a young kid, uh, and it just—I uh, was lucky enough that that dream came through in 1989 when I became a police officer in Manchester, New Hampshire.
1: And when you say it was a dream come true, why was that? What made you want to become a police officer when you were younger?
4: I—I I, I think. It was just the atmosphere I grew up in. I mean, it was a different time. I'm uh, 58 now, back in the 60s and 70s when I grew up. I mean, you didn't have much entertainment. You had a, you're lucky you had a TV in your house. It was black and white. And you watch whatever shows were on. And a lot of the shows we were watching growing up were uh, police-related, you know, with a big dragnet. And, um, you know, I have to say that it had a big impact. And, of course, my family... My brother my mother we were always, um, my dad was, uh, in the military in World War II, so we had kind of a history of serving, um, throughout my family, and it just seemed like the natural thing to do.
1: Okay, fair enough. So what kind of jobs did you do when you served as a police officer, Frank?
4: Well, I did everything. I was, uh, started, out as a patrol officer, um, and then I uh, eventually got into, um, I was promoted to uh, to a detective. I worked undercover for many years um, in special investigations. So I became a, a sergeant, a supervisor, and, um, and eventually I ended up um, running the special investigations unit uh, for Manchester, New Hampshire before
1: I retired. So, Frank, I remember from some of our conversations in the past uh, when you were a detective and you were doing some undercover work, That that was some pretty risky work. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
4: Well, it was interesting because, you know, you you always on you know, you, you take a a person like myself that's pretty much grew up in the middle class, not really had a lot of um, experience with, with the criminal element and then you get thrown into that environment and it's a whole different world for somebody like me and it was always uh um, there was always dangers and things out there you had to watch out for. But the main thing you had to do is just remember who you were, where you came from, where your ethics were and um in your you were basically trying to, um, you know, assist with, especially back in those days, it was more about, um, uh, it, it was certainly illegal drug use and smuggling and things like that, and eventually got into um, uh, the whole uh, people smuggling situation, and so it was a very interesting career, I would have to say.
1: Well, Frank, on behalf of A Grateful Nation, I want to thank you for your service because of all the conversations that we have had in the past, I know how much you gave up with family time and just putting your life on the line, you know, on the daily as a police officer, but even more so when you're undercover. So I really appreciate your service in keeping our nation safe during that time.
4: Well, I appreciate that, but the honor's been all mine. Um, you know, I can remember early on in my police career, I was a young uh, officer and I was out patrolling and I got a radio call that hey go to um, a specific restaurant for a young child choking and I just I looked over and I was right in front of the restaurant so I remember putting my cruiser in park walking in the restaurant and seeing the panic There was a young two or three year old child that had a piece of uh, food stuck in their throat and I, I just walked up to the Heimlich and you know cleared it, remember it cleared his throat and you know how much people thanked me and you know it was, it was sort of like It was surreal to me after that call. I realized right then why I had become a police officer. You know, I saved that kid's life, and um, I'll I'll never forget that. And that's kind of the basis of my police career going forward.
1: Frank, you know, of all the years that I've known you, you never told me that story, but I love it. That is absolutely a great foundation for being a cop. And, you know, over all the years that you and I have been friends, my kids have always come to know you as Frank the Cop, and that adds a whole lot of color to your background. But, you know, you also talked about the influence of your family. And I know that your brother was also a police officer. What was it like serving with him, being two brothers in blue?
4: It was. It was at times it was very, um, I mean, it was a great thing because um, you would think we were in a department in Manchester, New Hampshire, about 200 officers. So you would think that, you know, we, we must have seen each other every day or whatever. But, you know, in, in actuality, though, we are always on different ships doing, doing different things. You know, I could probably count on two hands the times we actually showed up together at the same, you know, call or call for service. But it was always, um, whenever we heard, unfortunately, when an officer was down and I wasn't working, the first thing that would come to my mind is my brother, all right. I mean, I didn't want it to be anyone, but sure. it was especially um, stressful uh, when we lost an officer and, you know, the first thing I do is call my brother to make sure he was okay. It. So it could be stressful at times for sure.
1: Absolutely. Frank, I mean, when you talk about stress, I, I look at the current situation in the world and all of the tension that has built up over the recent trial and police officers being put on trial. And, you know, arguably, you know, he definitely had done some things wrong. Um, but there's a lot of officers that currently serve with honor. What, what would your advice to be? For those officers that're currently serving during this difficult time, and they just want to do the right thing they don't want to hurt anybody they just want to do the right thing
4: i think it's I think it's important that um they never forget why they became officers in the first place which is to serve people to serve society and they cannot ever lose sight of that and like I used to tell my undercover officers you know as they are going through uh, working undercover um, you know they're, they're pretending that they're you know they' Presenting themselves as something other than police, has tell them every week at the end of the work week, you need to before you start working undercover any job, you should take a, a little bit of an inventory of your personality and what's important to you, and ethically and spiritually, you should take, write this stuff down. And then every week or so, just you know, do a little inventory and make sure you're still on the same track, no matter what the influence is, no matter how bad it seems to get out there. If you if you became a police officer for the same reasons as I did, which is to serve and protect, then um, all this other uh, noise and things like that are going on now, you can overcome that and, and still do the job, and people will appreciate it.
1: So an asthma check, if I'm hearing you correctly.
4: Hey, that's a good military term, the captain. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Frank, when we're uh, since you mentioned the military, let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, You know, you and I served together for a period of six months, and publicly in front of everybody that's listening, I really want to thank you, because had it not been for you 16 years ago now, I I would not be here, because you and I both know that you saved my life that one day when we were on a convoy, and there were people approaching us, and I was the driver, and you happened to be the gunner, and you kept that person at bay, and you prevented him from doing very bad things to us and to our vehicle, so I... Frankly, like, there's nothing I could ever do to say thank you for saving my life so many years ago.
4: Well, sir, I appreciate that that you have that memory and it all comes back to the subject of serving people and um, and that's what we did together. And when it all come down to it, you know, I used to watch all these old I can remember one movie in particular for Chop Hill when I was a kid. And I remember saying to myself, I was amazed at how did men do that? I mean Charge up a hill under wheels of fire, and how do you get people to do that? And it was it was during the time I served with you that it finally came to me that um, basically we did it for each other. You know, we, we did those things, we went on those missions. Um, the most important thing is we were doing it for each other. It wasn't it wasn't necessarily for the mission, but we, you know that that's the simple simplest way I can put it that we, we did that for each other. Like, uh, as teammates and
1: as soldiers. Frank, I I love that that you're saying we did it for each other. And You know, when you talk about the brotherhood of war, what really jumps out at me, when I first got to Iraq, you and your brother had been there for a couple months already. And I remember, you know, I was very much new to the area, to the team, to all of it. And you and your brother embraced me with open arms and invited me to sit down at the table with you for dinner and really just kind of took me into your inner circle and we became such good friends through that time. We had dinner together every night and ice cream occasionally and all of that. And, Frank, the, the bond that we formed during that time is something that can never be replaced.
4: Yes, and that, that bond will never be broken. And um, I, I remember those days. I remember people have to understand how stressful it is for the new guy. And, and he, I don't care what block of life you're in, what business you're in. It doesn't matter if you're making widgets or you're in combat. Um, you know, as a servant leader, that's what you do. You, you reach out to your, your new people and you make sure they feel comfortable and, and you want to, you know, make them feel part of the team. And that's, that's one thing the military taught me over all the years. I was, I've been in the military for 40 years. And um, so what you described is exactly what a servant leader does.
1: But, Frank, you know what really strikes me about your heart and your desire to serve is how many times that you have literally raised your hand and said, send me. I recall listening to you say that you volunteered to go on that deployment. When we were in Iraq together, you volunteered to go there with your brother because you wanted to be there with them. And you've done several deployments since then. Like, what is that like for you, this compulsion to just continually Put your life at risk for the good of the nation
4: Well I, I think it's it's an interesting um, it's fulfilling and and I, and I have to say I could never do this without the without the support of my family and my, my of course my wife Sue she she's been 100 percent that you know just think about it this last year I've been in Bosnia I've been in Bosnia over a year now. I got here the day of the travel ban because of COVID-19. My wife went home from Germany the day of the travel ban. Basically, we have not seen each other for over a year now, and I don't want to get off the subject, but, you know, she she has lived through the pandemic by herself, with friends and family. But, so, you know, these type of things that we do to serve other people, we can never forget about the family members that are left behind to deal with that too.
1: Absolutely. So... What advice would you give to young NCOs, young police officers that are trying to balance the needs of their career and family and everything else that they have in their heart like they want to do, but they might have that spouse that's left behind, that is going through COVID on their own, that maybe is going through a pregnancy. What advice would you give to people that are just starting out and maybe they're not as seasoned as you have become, Frank? I think the number one
4: thing is just, um, if you just so decide to do these things, and you, you have to make sure you have the support of if you're married, your spouse, um, or your family, you know, like, I, I can't express enough how important family is, and, you know, as, as far as um, what I tell young young NCOs when they get promoted from, you know, uh, when they become NCOs, I tell them, hey, there's two basic rules. One, um, when you become an NCO or a leader, it's not about you anymore. It's not about you know where you're getting fed. It's not about your next vacation. It's not about. It's all about the people who work for you. It's about taking care of them. It's about. um, It's about making sure that they have everything they need. And then the second rule I always say: the first rule is it's not about you. The second rule is it's all about you. It's about how you treat people and your ethics and and things that are important as a leader. That um, so on one hand. Uh, not about you, but on the second hand, it's all about you and how you take people with bigger inspect, respect, and they'll follow you anywhere as a
1: reader. Frank, that is incredible, and I think I'm absolutely going to steal that and use that in the future, if that's okay. Listen, we have about a minute hey, left, let's... but the other thing I really wanted to ask you about, you know, a couple weeks ago when we spoke, you told me about this idea of band together. And I know that you can't talk a whole lot about what you're doing in Bosnia, but you can talk about this program. So I'm just curious if you could just briefly share with the listeners what Band Together is, how you got the idea for it, and how it can potentially serve countless people where you are at.
4: Well, well, it goes back to, you know, 25 years ago with the war here in Bosnia-Herzegovina. It was a civil war between three different ethnicities, basically uh, the Bosnian Serbs, the Bosniaks, and their Croats, the Croatians. And bottom line is um, there's still alive because there's a lot of scar and uh, there still has to be a lot of healing here. You know, the, the country's still pretty much broken down. They've come a long way. But anyway, so as I was traveling through the country doing my mission that I do, I noticed how important music was to the different cultures. It didn't matter which ethnicity it was. Music was really uh, a part of their culture. And I, I came up with the idea of being together together talking to a few of my... Um, counterparts and um, bottom line is, when, is, you know, the country, the, the people here have a, uh, you know, they make, the average salary here is about 900 KMs a month, which is about $400 a, $400 a month. If families don't have a lot of money to buy instruments and things like that. And with music being such a, 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 a an agent of change and people get together with music, I decided, hey, maybe I can start uh, finding a way to get instruments that i can donate to different little music schools and music associations and then we can have joint concerts throughout the um different parts of the country with these young people who um you know will have to be able to get contact with people of different backgrounds and um just to bring everyone together through the power of music and um it really has taken off i'm pretty, pretty happy about where it's going
1: well Frank it is an incredible story your life story is an incredible story I want to thank you number one for coming on the program I want to thank you for your service as a police officer in the military and I want to thank you for being my friend and quite literally saving my life some 15 or 16 years ago Frank it has been an absolute honor to have you on the program today
4: well I appreciate your time and um, I I just hope that um, you know sounds like you're doing good things back there and I I look forward to the next time we can be and have dinner
1: together. Absolutely, Frank. My house is always open to you. Okay, well, I appreciate it. All right, when we come back from the break, I'll be joined by my two kids, Paul and Sarah McCullough. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul
1: McCullough, a Jacob Media production. Welcome back to Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 W O N D. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and I have the great privilege and honor of being joined here today by my two children, Paul and Sarah. You know, this is the month of the military child, and so when I was reflecting on who I wanted to bring on as guest for the last week in April, I could think of no better example of servant leadership from a young person's perspective. Than my own two children because I've seen them live it out in multiple different ways. So I want to just briefly spend some time talking to them today about what their journey has been like. So, son, are you on the line with us today? Yep, and happy to be here. Son, first of all, thank you for taking the time out of your work schedule and everything else you have going on to come on the program. And, you know, you have had a very diverse life, and you've been doing a lot of different things, but I wonder if you would share with the audience the different things that you do to serve the family in your role as the eldest son.
2: Um, so I take the garbage out around the house, and um, I do all that. I also clean up the counters the end of the night. I move the lawn when it comes time to do that. I plow the snow. Um, I keep the peace in our house and I find the thing that everyone seems to lose all the time.
1: (laughs) You are the finder indeed. So one of the things that I think is the most compelling of your story is when you were the head of the house while I deployed to Kuwait in 2017. So I don't know if you recall but when I got the news that I was going to deploy for six months and be a commander in Kuwait I sat you down and we had a conversation. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. And I made a big ask of you. What was that ask?
2: To take over at the house.
1: And what did that mean to you? What kind of thoughts and emotions ran through your head when I made that ask of you?
2: Um, I was honored. Uh, I was also very scared and kind of nervous.
1: Scared and nervous. So. What did that look like for you? How, how did you work through that as I was preparing to leave and then as I left?
2: Um, I just spent some time really reflecting and trying to really watch everything you were doing to see how you dealt, do it, dealt with the things that you had to deal with before you left and tried to put down to practice when you did leave.
1: And what role, if any, did Faith play in this equation for you as you were literally sitting in my chair as the head of the house?
2: When you first left, um, I was kind of mad M- not at you, meaning at God. I was just angry as to why he would do that. Um, then something that you said to me in one of our conversations while you were overseas kind of hit me. Uh, you brought up the verse, John three sixteen. 16. Um, well, Philippians 4, 13, I apologize. And it states, I can do think the carpet strengthens me. And I just kind of put that into practice after a couple months of
1: reflection. So you put that into practice, and I recall when I was deployed, you were essentially giving me weekly reports of what you had done each week to serve the family. Do you recall that? Yes, I do. And what was that like for you? Like, that mantle of leadership being squarely on your shoulders, having to care for your mom and your sister, what was that like for you, carrying that burden?
2: Um, I definitely got a taste of what you had been feeling, um, kind of understood how you felt that entire time, and kind of gave me a new perspective.
1: And then how about when I came back, what was that like for you?
2: Uh, that was difficult. It, it was good having you back, but um, it was just, as you know, it was a struggle for the, for the first, uh, I'll say six months. Uh, We were fighting for power because I was just the head of the house and he wanted to come back and take that from me and it just,
1: you know, it just took a little bit of time. Well, son, I want to thank you in front of everybody that's listening for what you did to serve our family, to serve your sister, to serve your mom, and to literally sit in my chair and serve as the head of the house for six months. I've got about a minute or so left with you. And I want to ask you, of all the things that we've done, all the places that we went together during our time in the Army, what was the most memorable moment or maybe your favorite location during our time in the Army together?
2: I'm not going to say going to Sapporo while we were living in Japan. Um, for those of you that don't know, uh, every year Sapporo has an ice festival where they carve a bunch of uh, sculptures out of ice. Uh, some even in days houses, some small little dogs. And um, I remember we took us to that one year, and I don't know, it's just my, my favorite experience. It really gave me my, my love of snow that I still have to this day.
1: And as a 17-year-old that is getting ready to go off to college in just a year and having been a military brat for the majority of your life, what advice would you give to other military kids that are in your situation or maybe army dads that are getting ready to leave for their deployment and might need to do the same thing that I did?
2: I would say to the dads, um, just try to prepare your kids as best you can. But for the kids, I would pay attention to what your parents do and just get ready to grow up if whatever does happen. But if, with, if and when they do deploy, just don't grow up too fast.
1: Amen. Son, I want to thank you again for what you did and for your comments here on the show. But I've got about seven minutes left, so I do want to talk to your sister as well. So, Sarah, welcome to the program.
3: Hi, happy to be here with you.
1: Well, listen, you do quite a lot for our family as well. Can you tell the listeners what you do to serve our family on a regular basis?
3: Um, I do things like taking care of the dogs cleaning around the house, like cleaning up the living room, doing the dishes, and other household chores. And I also give people the choice of like having someone to talk to and giving a good hug after they had a hard day.
1: A warm hug. You know, that really means a lot to me. And for people that may have seen the show, The Santa Claus Part 3, it talks about the power of a warm hug. And the villain in the show is Jack Frost, and he's got a very cold heart. And the little girl in the show breaks that cold spell that he has, right? quite literally giving him a warm hug. And Sarah, i got to tell you, your warm hugs have that effect, on any time that I get upset about something, you give me a warm hug and just make everything better. Well, listen, what were your feelings uh, towards the army when I deployed? What was that like for you? You were in a very different place than Paul.
3: Yeah, when you moved um, to get deployed, um... Um, I was very mad at the army because they were sending you away. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, um, I was very proud of you because you were serving people and helping people be protected.
1: And did faith play a role for you during that time?
3: Um, Yes and no. Um, When you told me that you were going to leave, I was very upset. But before you left, you gave me two coins and you also (laughs) told me... From something from Psalms 23 and telling me to be faithful.
1: And what does Psalms 23 talk about?
3: That you won't be hurt and you'll come back to me safely.
1: Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I am so glad that you remembered those words and that they gave you something to believe in. What was the good and the bad of being in the military for you? You were much younger than Paul. What was it like for you moving around multiple times?
3: Well, the good and the bad was, well, the good was that I got to see a lot of cultures and a lot of places. But the bad was um, every single time that I made friends, by the time that I made friends, we would have to move.
1: And how often did that happen for you?
3: Quite often,
1: so of all the places that we've been and all the things that we've done, was their most memorable moment for you? Is there something that you would look back and say, well, you know, the Army was kind of hard, especially when my dad deployed. But if it weren't for the Army, wouldn't would not have been able to do this.
3: Um, The most memorable thing is all the places that we've seen, like the everyday places that people get to live in every single day. Like what? Um, Like Paris.
1: Okay. What, what did you see in Paris that struck you?
3: Like the different kind of lights and the fact that everyone can just sit around the Eiffel Tower.
1: And what other places have you been to?
3: I've um, uh, been to Okinawa, right?
1: Hmm. Okinawa.
3: Australia. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of places. I'm pretty sure we've been halfway around the world, right?
1: And also, where did we live for three years?
3: We lived in Japan.
1: And what was that like for you?
3: Um, it was very difficult for me. Because I only made two friends there, <laughs> and um, I kind of lost contact with them over the years.
1: Have you tried to stay in touch with them on social media or anything like that?
3: Um, actually, I did, but then they didn't do anything on social media, and they deleted their platforms.
1: Okay. And so where are you at now? Like, What does that look like for you now with friends and COVID and everything else? I, I've been retired for three years, but what does that look like for you now?
3: Um, well, now that you're retired, I have a peace of mind that all my friends that I have right now, I kind of have to, like, stay with them because I know that I can have them.
1: So, with April being the month of the military child, why is that important to you? What does that mean to you as a young lady?
3: Well, um, as I was talking about before, you gave me two coins. And, before you left, um, these two coins were two superwoman coins. It was two types of superwoman coins. And it reminded me to stay strong.
1: And for the listeners uh, that may not know about the coin Sarah's referring to, in the military there's a practice of a challenge coin. And so when somebody does something really well, uh, the tradition is to give that person a challenge coin, as a visible reminder of the exemplary job that they did. And so before I left, um, and at several other occasions as well, when my kids did something good, I have given them various types of coins. So Sarah's referring to one of the coins that I gave her. Um... So why are those coins important to you?
3: Because they kind of symbolize how I needed to be strong like Superwoman.
1: And how have you been able to do that?
3: Um... Well, while we were deployed, I try not to cry, and I try to be brave, but also I was kind of scared. That's why I always had that alarm on.
1: But what did we also get to do pretty much every day to help you deal with that?
3: Uh, we FaceTimed every single night.
1: And so it was pretty late for you and pretty early for me, right?
3: Yeah. The time differences were big.
1: So we've got about a minute left, Sarah, and my question to you as a young lady about to go into high school and you spent almost your entire childhood as a military brat. what advice would you give to other military kids that are going through the same thing now? Maybe they're really having a hard time maybe with depression or keeping in touch with their friends, especially with social media and everybody's allowed to have a social media platform and so forth. What advice would you give to other young ladies that are going through similar struggles?
3: Well, I would say like not to focus on everything that's different, just to focus on everything that you have, like your family and the friends that you have right now, even if you won't have them later.
1: That is awesome. Anything else?
3: Um, and if your parents are moving away, like de- being deployed, just to focus that, the, not on the fact that they're leaving, it's just the fact that they're going to come back to you. Awesome.
1: But well, it has been an absolute privilege and an honor to have you and Paul on the program today. Paul and Sarah, thank you so much for joining me for today's segment. When we come back from the break, we'll reflect on the lessons of servant leadership that we've heard from today's guests. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
4: No
0: If you're interested in connecting with Dr. Paul McCullough or interested in being featured on the show, contact Jacob Media Partners via LinkedIn. Now, back to Serving Our Nation.
1: Welcome back to Serving Our Nation on News Talk 1400 WOND. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough. And as we close out today's show, I'm going to just briefly talk about what we've heard from today's special guest. You heard from Command Sergeant Major Swerko and Paul and Sarah, two young people but both living out servant leadership in their own ways. So first, when you heard from Frank, I love what he talked about with the two rules. He said, it's not about you. It's about taking care of other people. What are their needs? What are the things that they need to be successful in their career? What do they need for their family? What do they need for personal and professional development? But then he flipped that on its head and said, in a certain way, it's all about you. What are you doing to live as a person of integrity? What are you doing to lead yourself well? What are you doing to care and love and serve other people? Those are two rules that I'm gonna remember for a long time. And Frank talked about his work as a police officer and then countless times that he put himself at risk. And then he followed that up, talking about how he has served in the military, both simultaneously while serving as a police officer, and now He was on the program all the way from Bosnia and he had volunteered for multiple, multiple deployments. And what I heard Frank say was that no matter what you do, no matter where you're at, no matter how you're serving, whether it be police, military, whatever, you have to have that delicate balance of being able to take care of your family and your job and everything else that you have going on. But then when you talk about how people can serve through faith and what faith means to them. I love what I heard my kids talk about, and my son was mentioning Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so he used that aspect of his faith, and he used that belief in the power of God to quite literally sit in my chair as the head of the house for six months and lead our family. And he was able to care for my wife and care for my daughter and get things fixed and just do everything that needed to be done in my absence because his faith was fundamental to him and then he listened to my daughter talk about Psalms 23 and the impact that that had on her and how she knew that even though she was mad at the army and she was fundamentally a little bit scared and anxious about me being able to come back safely she took comfort in Psalms 23 and she knew that she could be an example to other people by how she lived her life and how she was able to live out her faith and know that her father was going to come back safely to her and then finally when you talk about serving your family I, i'm just in awe of what my kids are able to do they're at the point now when they're both teenagers and it, it's, it's almost like my wife and i are kind of on cruise control because my kids have a lot of responsibilities in the house and they know what needs to be done and very rarely do I even have to say anything to them now about what it is that they need to do. They know their jobs, they know what needs to be done, and they just do them with an occasional reminder, here or there, that they serve the family by taking care of all these random chores so their mom and I can focus on providing and just being the parents that they need us to be and not worrying about random chores throughout the house. You know, in each week, I'd like to talk to you very briefly That when you put good into the universe, good comes back to you. And so, this past week, uh, you know, just because it was something I wanted to do and I wanted to serve my wife, um, I got her three separate gifts. And I wasn't expecting anything in return. But later that night, um, a friend of mine called me up and he offered me three separate gifts. I was given uh, three free Phillies tickets. And I was able to take my family to a ball game at no cost and it was great seats at that. And I was absolutely surprised um, by just how God works. I put good into the universe by trying to do good for somebody else and it was something I could have never expected but three gifts literally showed up for me and I could take my family to a game. Listen next week I have two really incredible guests to share with you pastor brian white somebody i consider an incredible servant leader he's had 21 years of ministry at kingsway church and he actually just stepped down as the senior pastor we had to say goodbye to him today and he's felt the call of god to move on uh, after serving as 11 years as the senior pastor at kingsway church and i have the great opportunity to talk to him next week before he moves on to his next phase in life. My other guest is a friend of mine, Pastor Mike Cherry. He's an Air Force veteran, he's a police chaplain, and he's also a school principal. So I want to remind you to sign up for my Spotify and Apple Podcast mailing list through my website at ReverendDrPaul.com. That's Rev.DrPaul.com. That's R E V D R Paul.com. And you can look back at previous episodes on the page for my show. Finally, as you go about your week, no matter where you're at, I would encourage you to always ask, how can I help? Thanks for listening and join us again next week.
2: I know the night won't oh, no. you oh.